I don't know how many of you are convinced of God's love. I don't know how many of you experience that and believe that, um, but I like to imagine that God's love takes different forms. And uh, I was thinking about, as a series called Love Actually, what God's love looks like, because it does take different forms. And maybe a shepherd's stick staff would be a good description because it takes on different ways in which it gets used, right? So in some sense, God in his love is going to guide us and lead us. So there's some directionality about God's love. Sometimes that's not where we want to go, but it's in our best interest. And sometimes sheep don't play nice. And so, or sometimes uh, an enemy comes into the flock and there needs to be some kind of protective or separating feature. There, there's, it's kind of an instrument of correction. It's an instrument of protection. But certainly God's love comes in the form of when God reaches out to want to rescue us because we've got ourselves into a pickle and we just don't know how to get ourselves out. And we finally say, Lord, have mercy, help when I can't do anything on my own. So over the last few weeks and the next couple, we are examining God's love um, because it takes on so many different forms and features. And I just want to say, as we consider God's leadership in our life, I want to just thank the kids today, the kids for leading us in a time of prayer, because um, I'm reminded of the words that Paul wrote to uh, his disciple, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And when you children find your voice in our worship and go to the Lord in prayer, it is such a huge encouragement. So thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us pray better. And so we want to dismiss our kids as they continue on in their time of worship. So let us bless, so let, let's do it. The Lord bless you as you continue in your worship. Okay, one more time. Let's get it. Well done. Make good choices. Kids' class is a privilege. Hey, a couple of quick announcements as we get going here. Uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday, but we are planning to come together for worship. I know that's kind of unusual. And then after church, we're encouraging tribes to find a lunch destination together. So if you just want to make a note of that on your calendar, that would be great. And then in two Sundays uh, on, on February 13th, there's a, a youth uh, kind of luncheon after church. Uh, am I saying that right? Yes. Um, and then we have uh, our first Sunday of the month in March. And I want to tell you about it now is our masquerade event. And we are doing this in celebration of our sixth anniversary, not because we're throwing a party for ourselves, but we are throwing a party for Table of Grace, and we've turned it into a fundraiser, bringing aid to foster kids. So um, we think that we need to just identify people who are loving our neighbors well, and these Home, or not homeless, these um, orphan neighbors are, are in need of our care. And so we have a goal to raise about $5,000 this night. It's not, we're not going to gouge you on the night. It's $25 for entertainment and for dinner. 
and uh, it's, it's, a, it's the cheapest date night you'll find. It's the cheapest night out in Austin that you will have. There will be a silent auction. There will be raffle. So you turn in your poker chips at the end for raffle tickets, and um, it'll just be a lot of fun. You're going to hear from their president and founder, Stacey Johnson, who's a product of the foster care system. And I would just say this. If you know someone who has a, a trade, uh, a skill, uh, a business, something that they would like to contribute and donate to either our raffle or our silent auction. Shannon Wise is working tirelessly to put that together, and I would love to not make it a solo uh, act to pull all of that stuff together. So if you can help in any way with that, or don't mind making the ask, talk to her about that, because uh, yeah, that kind of makes it really fun when uh, many of the guests get to go home with something. So you can get online, you can register for it and be praying about who is it that you can bring to this as sort of an entry into faith and community. The end. Okay, segue. Uh, have you had the experience where you were really excited about maybe a, trying out a restaurant and then you got there and were sort of underwhelmed? Did not deliver. Have you ever had that product? And I have to admit that I become a sucker for Instagram buys. And every now and then I'm like, wow, that took an extra long time to get here. And it wasn't quite what I thought. There is this underwhelming, under-delivering sort of, wow, they put together great commercial and marketing and it wasn't that good. Have you ever been in a service-oriented role, like maybe at the mercy of someone else's care for you, and go, not feeling like you're getting the best or the adequate attention or service? I think this happens medically a lot of the time. In fact, Laurel and I talk about this a lot of times when people who are not medically trained want to um, advocate on their behalf of their loved one, they just get irritable and angry and act like their loved one isn't getting enough care. But it's only because they don't know how or, or why what medicine works the way they do. So um, Laurel and I were talking about this, especially because my dad is going through a time of recovery post-stroke in November. And um, one of the things that came up out of her master's and her study in medicine is that there is a, a way that we evaluate a treatment plan. There's a way that you say, when a recovery plan isn't working, you have to start kind of with two questions. Is it a good treatment plan? Um, and if it is, then you go to the next one is, um, what are the barriers that are keeping this patient from experiencing maximized healing and growth? Now, you start with an assumption that the patient actually wants to get better and that they're trying their very best to get better. So once you make that diagnosis, then you're evaluating what are the hurdles. You give the patient the benefit of the doubt and trying to say, why isn't this recovery under-delivering? Why is this recovery not bringing them back to full health? or desired health. And so you might consider factors like, well, maybe it's a transportation problem, or maybe it's an education problem. Maybe what it is is they, um, they're just overwhelmed, and they just can't kind of put it together themselves. Maybe it's a financial limitation, and they can't afford the sort of medications that have been prescribed. There's lots of factors that go in to a lack of recovery once we believe that it's a good plan and that they truly want to get well, that the desire is there, and maybe even the effort. And it got me thinking to what it's like in our spiritual lives. Have you ever processed being underwhelmed spiritually? You have a desire to know God more. You have a desire 
based on all that you've heard preached, all that you've read in scripture, to have your life shaped, your desires shaped to be more like God, and yet you still battle the same kind of temptations, the same kind of struggles, the same kind of impatience, the same kind of fears, and wondering, why doesn't it look different by now? I tend to think that's kind of a, 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 a universal struggle with all of us. But we go through a year and we're like, ah, I can't measure any growth. So we have to say, is the treatment plan that you're following, the sort of spiritual fitness plan that you're on, is it a good one? And then if we assume that your desires are there and your effort is there, then we need to ask the question, what are the barriers from you experiencing the kind of spiritual growth the kind of health, the kind of healing, the kind of transformation that you've dreamt about, that you wanted to say yes to Jesus about. So what's keeping us? And so that's kind of what I want to look at today, and I want to jump around at a couple of different passages uh, and see what would keep us. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Love Actually, and Love Actually was uh, kind of talking about a pathway for us. So if we start at the first week when we talked about love is a process of belonging, specifically to a community of faith, but we typically think of belonging as the front door, when actually belonging is what we experience when we find our contribution. It's not just that everyone knows our name or misses us when we're gone. It's that we find our role because when we identify a role within the community, our belonging starts to inform our sense of purpose. So to be in community, to belong to community, to belong to the community of faith is to find a role and a contribution and let God work out our, our sort of salvation from there and be able to meet our needs through the community of faith. And then Damaris got up and did a wonderful job of talking about becoming. That is, once we experience love is the process of becoming. What is that process? It's learning to be reconcilers because if we bear the image of God and Christ was the chief reconciler and he lives in us, then love is the process of reconciling even when we feel like to ask for forgiveness or to say I'm sorry feels like a loss. And we don't want to lose it. But it also sets us up to become ambassadors and then reflect. So if we have Christ in us, then we start to want to reflect Christ around us. It's like Ambassadors is kind of a thing. If you know any influencers on Instagram or if you know anyone who has a sponsorship deal, the brand speaks, right? I mean, product placement is, is everywhere today. Well, what if the product of our life was Christ within us? How would that become communicated to a world looking for something more, something better? So today I want to talk about the process of love is believing. Believing is the thing that begins to transform us from the inside out, but it has two facets to it. On the one side, there's this temptation of unbelief that I think is real and constant. And we need to examine what is the power of unbelief. And then the other side of it is looking through this new lens and seeing that we have um, the ability to, to grow in love. And, and on the far side of that is 
the believing begins to shape our lives in how we act and um, <clears throat> where we see act in light of who God is. Now, there's a very well-told passage in Matthew chapter 4. I don't have to go into the whole thing because most of us have heard it talked about, but there's this there's this scenario that I hope you can relate to, not as just Jesus' story, but my story. And Jesus takes the, the devil head on, and he goes at him for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's fasting. And this is how he inaugurates his public ministry. Well, he's been baptized, and then he heads out to the wilderness to go, I can do this. I got this. And he goes up against, and it's his temptation. And do you remember what the temptations were? It comes to us like this. Well, uh, if, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to turn into bread. So Jesus gets tempted um, with three things. First, appetite. And I would think that if you're fasting for 40 days, appetite might be a, a temptation. And all of us have an appetite for food, but sometimes we have an appetite for ambition. Sometimes we have an appetite for wealth. Sometimes we have an appetite for lust. There's lots of appetites that can be really good, really healthy, and really destructive. So all three of these temptations come from the same root. So it's first the appetite for, or, or, or an appetite, and then it's for worship, and then for power. And, and let's just kind of read that through this, and he says, if you will only worship me, then all of this will be yours. And then if you are the son of God, then throw yourself off to the temple and the angels. And so notice that the root of all three temptations isn't behavior, but it's belief. We typically think of I'm being tempted to do or to act or to say in a way that's contrary to who I like myself to be or who I think God is in me. But temptation, specifically the act of giving into it, is nothing more than a false promise. And when we give into temptation, we're simply giving into a lie. So the first part of this message, I would just want to evaluate what is the power of unbelief and how does it interact? And then secondly, what, what could we do to, to grow that, uh, that belief? What would the process of believing produce in us? And so at the moment we're being tempted to do or to say or to believe something, there's an issue that I think is far more sinister at play than simply behavior, and it's called unbelief. And temptation, again, is not about behavior. It's what do we do with what we believe? So whenever we, um, I think, struggle with this kind of um, silent whisper that said, did God really say that? Is that really that sin? Is it that bad? What we're doing is we're believing one of the most original lies ever spoken to humankind. And that is the, the voice of the devil himself. Did God really say no? To that? Did God really heed that? Or is part of that God's expression of love for us and we just don't want to give up on our options and our choices and our free will? And so every temptation has its roots uh, in the temptation to disbelieve what God actually says. It was John Calvin who said these words. He said, Christians are in perpetual conflict with their own unbelief. Does that sound like kind of autobiographical? Do you start to wrestle with, God, I want to know who you are because I believe in, in, that what you said, that your promises are true, that in your character and your, your attributes. So when we come into worship, a lot of times what we want to do is be able to 
figure out the names of God and give God praise for who he is. So if you want to grow deeper in worship, know the attributes and the character of God, starting with God's names. That's what we do when we kind of reset in a corporate worship experience like this. So Christianity is really a religion, a faith movement that is about right belief. In other words, all roads don't lead to heaven. All roads don't lead to God. What we celebrate, what we try and equip people for is orthodoxy, right belief. And what does right belief do? It informs right practice, orthopraxis. So it's really important for us as believers so that we don't just get into a pattern of behavior modification to play the game that sound the part, like, oh, I, I can check all the boxes. No, we want to have a deep, authentic, and personal faith and grow in the ability to, in word and deed to articulate a living faith, but to be able to pass on a living faith. And Christianity has always been about if you get your beliefs right, then you get your practice right. And that's really what we're trying to develop. But if what we're tripping up on is not behavior and it's disbelief, did God really say that? Well, then that's another matter. And again, I'm trying to evaluate what is our treatment plan? What is your spiritual fitness plan to grow in the capacity to love God and love others? Um, John, uh, John 6 uh, 28 and 29, Jesus is um, having this moment where he, he's been kind of confronted and, um, and they said, what must we do to do the works God requires? In other words, what are the rules? What's the, maybe the minimum I need to do to be loved by God, to be saved, um, to, to, to count myself as holy or blessed or righteous and, and earn my way into your heaven? And what does Jesus say? He says, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. Oh, wait. So it starts at a fundamental belief about who Jesus is in this world and specifically in my life. So then let's shift and go, what could growing our belief, particularly our love for God, begin to look like? To do that, I uh, want to quote someone from uh, the 12th century. His name was St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He was a priest. He was a remarkable man. He had a kind of um, calming presence, but a sharp intellect. In fact, he got involved in, in this papal dispute, this schism that was dividing the church, and he was able to mediate both sides when there had been a new pope that had been elected that had causing a split within the Catholic Church. He also got involved as a negotiator bringing peace and reconciliation between England and France. This guy was remarkable. But he wrote in this book called On Loving God, and I'm summarizing this pathway to spiritual formation. And when I read this, I thought, this is like every Christian's journey. And so when I read this and go through these steps, think about where you might be, maybe where you might start it, and then think about what is the work that God's doing? Because one of the greatest things that you can do is learn to talk about, identify the difference Christ is making in you. Not that you've arrived, but one of the greatest testimonies of belief for yourself and others is being able to articulate the difference Christ has made. It's called the trajectory of our life. I said yes to Jesus, and I'm on this path. If I would have never said yes to Jesus, it would have probably looked like this. 
And what St. Bernard of Clairvaux, and I was really hoping when I read that, that this is what the rescue dog was like, and I had this whole illustration to talk about the St. Bernard dog, and, and, and you know, it, it, was all, it has nothing to do with that saint. So I had to pivot a whole different way around that. And so St. Bernard of Clairvaux would say, um, we all start at a place where we love God for our own sake. I mean, come on now. Who wants to go to heaven? Me! Who wants forgiveness of sin? Me! Who needs God's grace? Me! All of these things that sort of entice us to say, I need a fire like insurance plan. I need to avoid hell. I want to go to heaven. Um, and I recognize that there are some really big faults in me that I'm a flawed person and I need help and I can now receive God's grace and move to a different place. And a lot of people, once they check that box, they're good to go and never grow beyond that. And what St. Bernard was advocating on loving God was saying, we start at this place where we love God for our own sake. And many kids pray sinner's prayers in, in children's church saying, I, I want Jesus to love me and I want to go to heaven because that's where my mom and dad are going, so I'm going to go too. The problem is, is we need to grow out of it, childhood Christianity. And what he's saying is we begin over time, and this is the process of love actually, is that we begin to grow to a point where we love God for others' sake. Now evaluate your own spiritual journey. Have you not started to see the needs of others differently? And I'm going to say, if you have... I want to give God the credit for softening your heart. Oh, I used to not really care about that until I realized that's an act of injustice or that's, that's abuse or that's greed. And someone should, someone should do something. And so as we grow in Christ, what we believe is that God's love can be shown in tangible ways. And that's super important. Um, and so we develop a heart, and it's not just for the least of these, it's for people in our community that might even be hard to love. But we choose to live sacrificially because that's who Christ is, and so we come into the community of faith and we say, I'm willing to show up early, I'm willing to sit with the kids, I'm willing to, in fact, I wish they were here, Katie and Luke, who don't have kids, are sitting with our kids today. How amazing is that? So make sure you give them a hug and a fist bump at the end of today because they said yes to sitting with our children. How beautiful is that? We love God for others' sake. Well, I could do that. And then we take on different acts of compassion and generosity and sacrifice because we care for the larger people. In other words, we're starting to shift now that I'm not the center of my own life. I don't always need to get my way. This isn't just a goods and services and delivery. But if I want a spiritual fitness plan, a treatment plan, I have to have an idea of what it takes to have my heart reshaped. And a lot of times that requires effort, inconvenience, sacrifice. So the third thing, and this is what was fascinating, and this is my life's pursuit. St. Bernard of Clairvaux says, well, eventually we begin to love God for God's sake. Think about that. God, I love you, and I don't necessarily need you to answer my prayers. God, I love you for who you are, and I want my life to reflect you. I want to move from the center of my life 
because that actually is really toxic. And when I can step out of the center of my life and my need for self-indulgence and my need for instant gratification, when I can step out of the center of my life and let God take up, I'm beginning to love God for God's own sake. That it's not a, what have you done for me lately, God? It's a, God, I believe that you love, that you care, that you're present, and that you're at work. So how can I align my life with your will and your way, with your rule, with your reign? That seems aspirational to me, and I can't do that alone. But that's what's the, the big value added with being in a faith community that's committed to not just right belief, but right practice. That's a, that's a recipe. That's a spiritual fitness plan that actually can produce growth. And I'm all in. I'll give my life to it regardless of what my day job is. Uh, and so where we land in this is if you're a runner, you're not going to go try and run a marathon. You're going to train for a marathon. So when we talk about a treatment plan, spiritually speaking, or what I call a spiritual fitness plan, we have to ask the question, are you just trying to be a Christian or are you training to live a Christian life? Because there is some training involved so that we just don't cave into temptation. There actually has to be a strengthening of heart. And what I like to do, it's like thinking of it in terms of marriage. It's a covenant. You don't just try and be married. You have to practice being in covenant relationship. Because if you don't practice being in covenant, you're going to be unbearable to live with. Because you're going to exercise authority. You're going to exercise no forgiveness. You're going to not be gracious because you're as impossible to live with as she is. So how do we practice covenant with God? It's like we practice covenant in marriage. And it just takes a lot of attention and a lot of detail. But when we begin to practice being in covenant with God, what we begin to see is that we are practicing our belief in God's love. Practicing covenant is something that requires us, that allows us, that shapes us to figure out what we believe about God's love. And so the way we practice covenant is by being in relationship with God through his community of saints. And his community of saints, like sheep, they bite. They're not always gracious, and they're not always kind, and sometimes they're really needy, and sometimes they're really wise and really generous and extremely selfless. And so all of that comes together in the family of faith, and we begin to love others simply because that's how Christ loved us. And it starts to shape the desires of my heart. Now, the way we practice this is not only being in relationship with God and each other, we practice in this community of faith, well, I need to practice reconciliation, not feeling like I need to win. I need to practice compassion. I need to practice generosity. Because if I don't train for these things, I will never become that. What I like to tell people just starting out in marriage is, Start giving now because if you wait someday to tithe or to be generous or to give when you have more, it'll never happen. Start with meager means. Start when you feel like you can never afford it and watch it grow because your heart grows with it. That's the transformational work that does not happen in the instant. It happens over the pathway, the trajectory of years in following after Christ. And it's so, so doable. But we cannot do that in isolation. 
And so we want the, the work of Christ, all of those things, to become our salvation, specifically saving me from being the center of my own life. Because if not, I'm left up to my bouts of control, my bouts of fear, my, my own insecurities, um, and, and just trying to survive. And we were not designed or created to survive, but to thrive. Every living organism should grow. Every vital relationship should grow. In trust, in vulnerability, in grace, and in joy. That's doable, but not without effort. We can't just try to do that. We have to train for that. So I guess I'm just wanting to land with how is your spiritual fitness plan? How is your treatment plan working for you? You know, again, Laurel and I have been talking. Um, I don't know if we've seen the results that we've hoped for with my dad. Um, he's not bouncing back. He's not getting um, better. Uh, um, there, there's still some missed cues and, and missed words, uh, um, but he's, he's still going through rehab. This week he started speech therapy at an outpatient facility, which we're excited about. But here's the thing. I look at his treatment plan, and I just don't think we've given it enough time. My mom is doing a selfless and amazing job caring for him. I don't think it's sustainable, but she's now adding help to the equation. But I also look at my dad and go, this is the least lazy man that I know. This is a guy that for my whole life would never take a nap. He'll fall asleep in his chair in the afternoon, but to actually go lay down, well, that might be lazy. I'm like, be committed to a nap, dad. I mean, that's okay to be in a committed relationship with nap. But he's funny. Like, this is like the least lazy person. So I know it's not a lack of effort or desire for him to want to get better, to gain some more mobility. But he's had partial paralysis on the right side, and he's got some mental cognition now. And we're evaluating the treatment plan and going, they're doing a great job, and they both want it badly. So what's keeping it? Well, I think time. I think support. I think education. All of the things to help him down the road. I don't think it's necessarily sustainable, but that's why Laurel and I, my sister, and others keep coming out to just try and help them through this transition as we go to a new normal. Spiritually, I want you to see it the same way. What's not working spiritually? Is it unbelief? Because that's powerful. Are you just going through the motions of Christianity trying to correct right behavior? Or is there something fundamental that you don't believe is true about who God is? Oh, I don't really believe God cares. Okay, let's talk about that. Well, I don't really believe that God's involved in these matters because my prayers don't get answered. I sat with someone this week who has just been out of fellowship for quite a while, and he's a recovering atheist, and one of his atheistic triggers when he was away from the church for 10 years was, well, um, the church is really coercive and manipulative. And I said, well, how would you know you're not there? Um, and I think being away from fellowship dulls sensitivity. But then it brought up, well, um, you know, s s there's this prayer that I've been praying as, an, as a kind of a redefining of uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, but he's saying, reveal yourself to me, and God's not showing up. Every day I've been praying, reveal yourself to me, and I don't see him. And I said, you know what? Rather than holding God in contempt and saying, where are you now, Lord? Because what I'm trying to do is expose, this is a bad spiritual fitness plan. This is a bad treatment plan. And what are the barriers to him? I'm going to give you the advice I got. Try and find God in the sequence of your life. 
rather than where are you today. It's like asking, what have you done for me lately? Because if you can look over your shoulder and begin to make sense over who God has been and how God has showed up and provided and healed and, you know, um, and, and been faithful, then you can start to see the trajectory of where God is leading you. And I was able to speak to this friend about all the ways that God had provided transportation, job opportunity, um, reconciliation with his family, um, um, uh, other resources. And, and I was like, your view of God is too small. You have to take a, a broader look. And what has God been doing over the last two and three and five years? And there was kind of an eye-opening. And we go, oh, this, is, this treatment plan's not working. We've we, we got to go back to the drawing board. And it starts with getting back into community. So personal faith always needs a spiritual fitness plan. And what we're trying to design here at Mission Hills is a faith that's a living faith. And so we have right practices. We have good practices that can help us form Christ in us. It can give us language to talk about faith because we believe that our rhythms are connected with the heart of God. But it also allows us to instill faith in those who are, are not as far along. These are really important things to not only work out, but it starts with a fundamental presupposition that says God is loving. And I want to be in covenant relationship with God. So we wanted to start a church that would have renewable vows. Not just I would check a box and, well, I'm a member there until I'm not, until I move, until I go somewhere else. We're not looking to have more accountability over your life. We're not trying to get more commitment out of your life. We're trying to produce a greater spiritual fitness plan so that you can walk in God's love. So what do we say? We, we want a, a, a spiritual fitness plan that increases our ability to love God more, that increases a way for us to love one another and, and love our neighbors as well. So that's, that's the game plan, friends. That's what we're trying to do. And so we're trying to have this renewable vow where we, where we reevaluate our life each year and we, we reaffirm not just how much should I give to Mission Hills or how much should I serve Mission Hills. No, we want you to renew your vow with the Lord Jesus Christ and say, what are you inviting me to do this year with my resources, with my time, with my talent, with my treasure? How can I be involved in increasing my love for you so that ultimately we're learning to love God for God's own sake? Because by the way, God's love is always outward. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is always moving outward and that's why he sent his son for us. So I want to just uh, I want to just close with a time of prayer and give you a little bit of uh, evaluation time. Um, we're going to go into a time of worship, but I, I just want you to consider some of these things as we maybe question our own levels of belief. What do we believe is true about God? Let's just pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I'm aware that you have started a good work in your creation and in our lives. But I'm aware that this requires effort and training. And um, sometimes it's, it's, it's really hard just to see you. I pray that you would give us a vision for your son, Jesus. Give us an awareness of your presence. Give us uh, a reminder of your love for us. We want to renew kind of our covenant with you. We want to reaffirm and practice a living faith. And so I would just ask you, what are you struggling to believe about God's love?
name, your unbelief. I think that's a really important thing. I just don't believe that you'll provide. I don't know if I can trust you with my reputation. I'm too worried about my status. It'd be too extreme for you. Maybe if I practice reconciliation, I'll feel like a loser. I'll get taken advantage of. See, I think one of the most boring lives is to feel like settle on I've got enough of God. Because there's always more. So what part of our hearts may be yet to be surrendered? Is there an area of your life that you just feel like is too hard to trust the Lord with? And is there an opportunity to surrender that, to name that? We want to move the needle, Lord, just from not just being believers, Disciples, from being fans of you to being a family of faith that grows. Lord, I believe that you want to do the work. You've given us this extended family of faith to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. But I grew weary. Would you meet us in difficult marriages, dry marriages? that you would give us words to articulate who you are and let our lives be found. Not in my talent, not in my accomplishments, but in you. So we come with just an attitude of surrender, an attitude of desire, knowing that we need grace, but also But it always feels like it's never enough, but your love is enough. That's the beauty. We are enough in you, praise for that. We can't not worship you for that. So I pray that my friends today would grow, would heal from unbelief and, 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 and settle in on your abundant love and longing for them. As we worship you now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds. As we worship, if the Lord has thoughts for you and you just want to jot some ideas down, a prayer down, just, just make this your time with the Lord. If the words come easy to you, sing out, sing loud, sing proud, but make this a ministry time. Do not leave without offering a, a prayer of confession, of surrender, of, of thanksgiving, of joy. Let's make this just a special ministry time.